becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Little hot on the mic? No. I don't even know what that means. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Can you do it down? Yeah, you're hot. Put, put some water on it. <laughs> Splash some water on it. Cool it down. Cool baby. it down, man. All right. Cheers. All right, to the shores. To the shores. Here we go. All right. Metaphorically. Metaphorically speaking. Oh. Um. All right. I feel like I need to start with a deep breath. I know. Yeah, I think so. We've uh... okay. So first of all, yeah, my mind is not into what we're about to talk about. Okay, but I kind of like going there because I think I've been too much in the, the financial world of trying to understand some of the a lot of new concepts. I think you and I are going to dig into in some other episodes, mm-hmm. but we're still in this sort of like gathering and questioning phase of some of the ideas. So. I think it's hard for, I mean, we kind of want to get into like the, uh, some ideas of how we, uh, use metaphor and why metaphor is so valuable and useful. In fact, almost, uh, as a friend of yours had said, um, as we get older, it becomes more useful than just plain stated facts. Like I'm hot. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Could you be more descriptive? Yeah. Like, physically hot or <laughs> what, what do you mean by this? Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's, I think it's, it's, I feel like it's going to be a good conversation just to kind of get my head out of some of that stuff. Yeah. We were talking before we started about how <clears throat> our head has been so much in sort of the world, like mm-hmm. what's going on for, you know, for a long time. And we've been wanting to get more into the sort of philosophical abstract space, play with some of those ideas a little bit more. So mm-hmm. we'll try to do that. We'll probably end up, you know, <laughs> back into politics and cultural events some, so. one way or another, but yeah. we'll just start with this statement and just sort of see where it leads us. Mm-hmm. Um, and this came from a couple of different places condensed from a couple of different places. Um, that we'll reference as we go, but it's the statement that metaphor is truer than the objective. Yeah. It's an interesting statement. It is. It kind of makes me squirm a little bit. Yeah. Well, well, let's start there then. Why, why do you squirm at that? Um, I think there's, there's a little bit of a narrative today that you kind of like your truth, your lived experience And I think that kind of muddles the value of your lived experience and your truth. While at the same time, there is an objective reality that won't let you get away with anything. Uh, You know, if you walk into a front of, in front of a car, you're going to get hit. Like that's just, that's just what happens, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, you know, if you're not nice to people, it's like they're not going to like you, mm-hmm. no matter how much they pretend, and no matter how how you want to validate them not liking you. At some point, it's also your fault. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, again, there's so many situations that this could come up. I'm, I'm thinking of some more specific things. Of you know, 
you don't like me because you can't handle this about me. It's like, well, okay, I, I, I can learn to accept that part of you, but maybe you're just being an ass. <laughs> you know, it's like, and people don't want to be around assholes, you know, and, yeah. um, psychopaths or narcissists. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. So no matter what your lived experience is, it's like, or your truth is, it's like, you can still be a psychopath. <laughs> so are you drawing a difference between that, that? So the term your lived experience or your lived truth, mm-hmm. the idea that there is something which is, well, it's true for you. Yeah. And, the objectivity of the world itself, which you kind of can't lie to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So I, th- I feel like sometimes the idea of, uh, of metaphor being more true than the objective, um, in one regard, I find that utterly profound and so true. Um, but it's also dependent on your maturity and growth and understanding how to communicate and how metaphor is, is a useful tool <clears throat> to actually dig deeper than what you could ever actually say outrightly. Mm-hmm. So like the sky is beautiful. Okay. That's, that's, that's a great statement, you know, but if you start to c- explain like, man, it looks like the sky's on fire. I mean, it almost looks like the, the, the whole wooded area over there is like there's a forest fire and like it's going to rage across the mountains. And, hmm. and so now you're painting this picture of something that is, it's not necessarily that there is fire, but the, the experience of it and the, the, the feeling and the look of it comes alive a lot more and explains a lot more of what you're experiencing. Well, there's another interesting effect <clears throat> in that specific example which is that if you say to me, the sky is beautiful, mm-hmm. I might immediately disagree with you. Mm. But if you use metaphor to describe why you think the sky is beautiful, mm. it might actually reveal the beauty you see to me. More clearly, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, I mean, again, love is surrounded by metaphor you know when you're when you're courting or communicating love to somebody right you almost can't almost can't do that without some sort of metaphor Mm -hmm. like oh you like me but like how do you like me right why do you like me right well i like the way that you you move it's Mm -hmm. there's something something about that that makes me turn my eye to you. Well, you don't turn your eye to somebody, you know, <laughs> it's like, what does their movement have to do with anything? Hmm. And it's like, but you're, you're making these sort of analogies or associations with like, where they can kind of, it's like, Oh, something about the way that I move makes you like, I draw, you, I draw your attention, mm-hmm. you know? So there's something in my action. And so that can be explored deeper and deeper and deeper. But you, in order to do that, you, it has to be some sort of metaphor, or it's kind of lost in sort of a. Uh, well, when you turn left and then you shake your right hip, and then you wave your hand at me, it's like that's that's really really amazing. Makes you sound like Spock, <laughs> totally, or Sam Harris. <laughs> that was a that was a cheap one on him. Sorry, yeah, that was pretty cheap. <laughs> he does sound like Spock though. Like sometimes, sometimes like, he does, yeah. I think what you're saying is true, but like, it doesn't sound true because you sound like an alien. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm not exactly sure <clears throat> how to 
attack this topic, but I, maybe I'll start or respond to what you said by um, reading this quote. Well, actually, two quotes that sent me down the road that led to this very sort of um, abstract statement that metaphor is truer than the objective, mm. which makes you squirm. And I understand why, mm. I think. Okay. Because there is a... Um, Well, those two things are at odds because the objective is presumably what you are describing with metaphor. Mm -hmm. And so it's somehow like logically doesn't make sense to say that metaphor would be truer than mm -hmm. the objective. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to try to make the case right. with your help. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So this first, um, first quote is from, Arthur Schopenhauer. I, I presume that's German and I don't yeah. speak German. So Schopenhauer. Schopen, <laughs> Schopenhauer. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Truth that is naked is the most beautiful and the simpler its expression, the deeper the impression it makes. Hmm. The first thing that I thought about when I read that was that seems really, really true to me. Mm -hmm. Something about the simpler the expression, the deeper the impression it makes. And I thought immediately about song lyrics. Like, who was it? Somebody said uh, songs are just bad poetry. Hmm. Like song lyrics generally aren't great when you just read them aloud. Yeah, They sound really simple and dumb and... You know, it doesn't make much sense, but then you set them to music and you add the emotion and you can communicate in three words what it would take you <clears throat> chapters to communicate in a book. Hmm. And how is that possible? It's not just the addition of the music. I think that's part of it. But there's something about something spoken simply in a context. So maybe the music being the context allows the simplicity of the words to, it allows some interpretation to the simplicity of the words, some recognition. Like you pair some statement of love with some sound of longing, and we all know immediately what these sort of like very simple lyrics mean. Mm -hmm. And we identify them and we relate to them. You can get very deep, very simply. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what to make of the... Um, truth that is naked. I think that has something to do with maybe our conversation in the last episode about art and propaganda, mm. like naked truth doesn't, <clears throat> isn't trying to manipulate you mm. or hide anything. Yeah. It doesn't have a purpose exactly, uh, to your immediate means. Mm -hmm. It's truth for truth's sake. Well, it, it, again, we weren't going to go politics, but this is part of the, there's this kind of, most people are, are less trustworthy of institutions right now. And there's sort of like a, a propagandist layer that has been, that we just feel like our institutions are sort of spouting out to us. And a lot of that we've covered in many, many episodes, so I won't go into that. And so when you have that mistrust, it's like there is not that naked truth that's, that's evident. 
And like when I think of like naked truth, what makes me think of is like an old man or an old woman. And they just say something really simply like, you know what, son, you really need to work hard in life, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But if a four-year-old told me that, well, I don't know. I've seen some, I've seen some four-year-olds on Instagram that really moved me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, there, there's something of it, but the intonation, because that was again at the four-year-old in that one you can be whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you that one? I don't remember that one. Uh, I'll see, see again. Uh, you can be the president of the United States. You can, you just got to want to. <laughs> it's really cute, but he made you believe it though. But there was something about the intonation, but it, it kind of goes along with music too. Or with an old person, like you see it in their eyes, like they've lived a hard life and they don't have to tell you my life has been hard. Here's all my examples of that. It's like they, they almost wear it in their, in their eyes and in their right. voice and their countenance, you know? Yeah. Or someone who's kind of a little bit squirrely. And we all know this is like, someone's a little bit squirrely and tells you the same thing. You're like, uh, maybe what you're saying is true, but something about how you're saying it just doesn't communicate. It's not the naked truth. Isn't just shining out of it. You know, <laughs> I love that you say naked, <laughs> naked, naked. That's my Amarillo from. Yeah. <laughs> naked. Hmm. Yeah, there's something about that context that mm-hmm. adds meaning to the words. Mm-hmm. So the second quote that I think moved me further down this line is from Khalil Gibran. He said, between what is said and not meant and what is meant and not said, most of love is lost. Hmm. Yeah, unpack that. That's really interesting. Um, well, I guess my first response to that is, is, um, it just sounds so tragic Hmm. because I think, especially as I've gotten older and maybe even (laughs) since we've started this podcast, like I take articulation really seriously. I try to read a lot. I try to write a lot. I want badly to be able to express what it is that I have to express. Yeah. But I'm failing at it all the time. T.S. Eliot. Yeah. <laughs> one only learns to get the better of words. Or the thing one no longer has to say. Or in the way one is no longer disposed to say it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So this isn't a solvable problem. Like we will always be saying things we don't mean mm-hmm. and always meaning things we don't say, yeah. partly because <clears throat> we don't know how to say them. Mm-hmm. And partly because we're afraid and ashamed to say them of what they might mean. Mm-hmm. Afraid to get it wrong, to stumble. Um, and so, and then the last part, most of love is lost. That sounds like a tragedy to me because... Well, I want love. Mm-hmm. I want all of it. But maybe most of it is lost. Well, lost to what? Lost to where? I'm not sure that I I, I, I agree that it is lost. I think that it is the trying which continuously reveals it because we can't perfectly express it. Mm-hmm. We have to act it out. And this is where the metaphor part kind of comes in, which is that 
you know, I have things I mean, but I don't know how to say. So I say, um, you know, I say, well, it's like an ocean or it's like a sunset or it's like a fire burning through the woods. Mm -hmm. And you kind of know what I mean, even though I'm not saying the thing that I'm trying to say, Mm -hmm. but it's the only way that I can get to the space that I need to get to because my words aren't enough. It kind of makes me think of also the symbolic in general. So I think there's a lot of things that we do, like even in love, that you act out in a symbolic nature that helps communicate that sort of, that love that you have for somebody, you know? Like, um, uh, you know, I get Alice in their coffee every morning, you know? It's like, to me, that's just one thing I can do. That's a symbolic representation of something that, like, I will be here every day and I'm going to bring you coffee. You know, and, and that sort of like, again, like, <laughs> yeah, that, that there's a symbolic action that's communicating something that is deeper, no matter how, what I feel, or if we're in an argument or, or whatnot, that that's one thing that will tell you that I'm, I'm still here. Now, mm-hmm. obviously there's days I don't bring coffee and that doesn't mean I, I don't love my <laughs> wife, but, but it might, but it might, <laughs> but generally speaking, like that's to me, that's just, and again, it could change. It could be like, you know, at some point I don't do that, but there might be other things that, mm-hmm. that, that was just the first thing that came to my mind. So I think of like, you know, as far as the symbolic also representing is the objective reality a lot more accurately than any sort of objective statement can, Hmm. you know, it's like you can tell somebody that you love them, but if you don't act it out in Hmm. some form or in some, some symbolic way, then it doesn't really mean anything. So much to go through there. Uh Um, I've always had a bit of a problem with the idea of objective reality. Hmm. And okay, I'm curious now because I have loved that <clears throat> objective reality. <laughs> yeah. Well, so talking about well, the metaphors of love, let's say, because that's a place that shows up quite frequently, and it's interesting that it does. I think there's a good reason for it. So I might say. I love the ocean in your eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what am I saying objectively? Am I saying that there is a body of water in your eyes? <laughs> no. Am I even talking about your eyes? No. I'm talking about something else. Like it's not objective. I'm talking more about the way that you move me. I'm talking about the depths that I see, that I see no end in. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't objective. <clears throat> it's about movement and movement to where? Hmm. Is it to the future? Is it to some more inspired version of myself? It's like immediately there's no way to rationally explain what I'm trying to say in, in which you don't immediately get ejected from concepts of ejected from concepts of objective reality. Well, I think that's the part of it is it's, it's, 
it's actually getting closer to objective reality. Like there's an aspect of reality that encompasses a relationship that's so deep and profound that we have to sort of grab onto these symbolic and metaphoric language in order to kind of speak them into existence or, or, or draw them out or like Michelangelo when he, when, you know, they talk about him, uh, uh, you know, that the, the, the person is actually in the stone and he's just releasing the marble away from the person. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that. That's a metaphor. It's not that there's actually a person in there, <laughs> you know, but like, but there, it's like, it's, it's like releasing something that's in there. It's like the existence of something is inside there. And as you start chipping away, that reality starts to kind of like manifest itself. Right. And so I think that, I think there's something about that with, because if it wasn't a part of objective reality, as far as like, there's just love that is possible and you don't know how to get there, so the, but there's something in this reality that we live and we can experience that it's attainable but we don't know how to get there. And that's, that's why it's, I think metaphor is so powerful and religious language, which is full of metaphor and symbolic, um, you know, like God is like a shepherd, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's all this sort of metaphor to kind of, it's like, God's not actually a shepherd, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's, but we have to use words like that because we're starting to reach into something that's a lot bigger than us. It's like when we were, you know, three years old and we tell our kids or our, when our kids were three year olds, it's like, okay, use your words, you know, cause mm. just screaming is not, is not very helpful, you know? Well, it is helpful. It's just not very <laughs> effective, effective mm-hmm. because you can be a lot more specific once you know words that you can attach to more complex, nuanced experiences. Mm. Once you gain more complex, nuanced experiences, and can identify them, then you can actually communicate what it is that you desire. Mm. And more effectively, you can do like, how how does it hurt from one to 10? It's like all of a sudden you're starting to abstract something into pain that you understand from within a range that you've experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Well, I, I, that's, I mean, it's really interesting because there's something in the innocence of children in the way that they communicate is almost, we kind of almost are envious of that too, you know, um, that sort of simplicity. But at the same time, there, the, we also realize that we can't stay there. You know, you, you think of a lot of adults um, that haven't really grown up, you know, uh, or, you know, as you're going from teenage years into your adult years, there's a, there's a complete, there's a real visible sign of maturity. <clears throat> like I see this, uh, you know, we've, I've, you know, for the last 16 years, I basically hire 18 to 27, you know, and it's just fascinating to see. I can have an 18 year old that is just as mature or more mature than a 27 year old. Mm-hmm. And the 27 year old, that's like not, not that mature. It's like, but they don't know how to communicate in a way and understand the world around them. You know, so I think there's something that, you know, as we are able to abstract 
the world around us and then how accurately we abstract that world is, is very, um, uh, evident in, in our, in our actions and stuff like that. So I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of running around in a couple of different areas because I was thinking about love and stuff like that. It's like, you should love me. Why? Because I love you. Hmm. It's like, uh, that's not really how it works. You know, <laughs> it's like, there's something that you have to do to be able to communicate that love to somebody and understand the reciprocity. And somehow it's this dance that happens that, that one person might love the other person or like the other person first, but then how it's reciprocated. And then there's this dance of sort of like falling in and out of love or like, and then maybe one person's like, I don't want to be a part of this. And they step out of that dance. And and then all of a sudden that communication that was going on has lost all its meaning. And only one person's playing the game and the other person's not playing, but now it's lost its meaning. When they're both in the dance and communicating, like there's, there's, there's something that's being kind of drawn to the surface that they're both participating in. And everything's super meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're in that flow state, Mm. just like in a conversation, like the podcast, Mm -hmm. you get into a flow state, everything seems meaningful. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're not in that flow state, everything, well, you question the meaning of everything. Yeah. It's like you're, in that sense, like you're outside looking in. So back to, I want to tie two things together. Back to the idea of metaphor being truer than the objective. I think metaphor points to something partly that you can't un that you don't understand, mm-hmm. which is why we use metaphor. There's also the point to be made that all of language itself is metaphorical mm. of something that you can experience with your senses. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you wouldn't understand any words. Yes. And, um, but I think metaphor also points to, not just the thing that you don't, that you haven't learned to say properly yet, but some unobtained version of the truth. It's like the lover who says, who mentions the ocean in his beloved's eyes. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about something, some, something which will hopefully be manifest, Mm -hmm. but it isn't exactly in the moment, at least not all of it, not fully. So there's something of the future or something of, um, an un unrevealed state of things that you're trying to talk about. And this is where I think that you, you squarely kind of come out of the objective. And I think I want to pair that with Ian McGilchrist's idea that there are, there are no things. There are only processes and patterns. And so when we use metaphors, we're using them because we're not talking about the way that things are. We're talking about the way that things have become or are becoming. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, we don't know what it is partly because of our own ignorance and foolishness, but also partly because, 
Well, whatever it is, isn't done yet. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about its potential more than we're talking about its um, sort of objective state in the world. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause I, I kind of feel like you maybe used the word or that idea of objective a little bit more strictly speaking, you know, yeah. it's like in, a, in, in that sense, I kind of like agree. It's like, it's almost like the idea of objective was like what has been accepted, you know, rather than, I think you and I both can probably come at the world this way. It's like, we really don't know. Like we live within a certain strata of this sort of reality that we kind of understand. And a lot of it we share and understand together, you know, but at the same time, that's kind of why we call this the shores of ignorance. It's like, it's like we sit on this little, small little strata of objective reality that we understand, but we also know that it's not, it's, it's, it's a less, it's a lesser, a lesser representation of what actually is. And mm-hmm. we don't know what that, what it actually is. Right. But we have some sort of like watered down version of objective reality that you can't even say that that is objective reality. You know, it's like, but there's something that we're measuring it against, which is so much greater than you could ever explore or find. And we're able to bring back these little treasures and that kind of are representative of this objective reality, you know? And Hmm. so I I think, would you make the case that there is, there is some objective reality, but we just don't know what it is mm -hmm. because I mean, I think that's what I was trying to say. It's like partly because of our own ignorance and foolishness limitations, limitations. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I would believe, I, I tend to think that there's, there's sort of signposts along the way that sort of say, Hey, you're heading the right direction. Well, you might want to turn right a little bit, you know, like this sort of, it's, it's sort of like, again, the flow state kind of thing is like, you know, you have challenges and you have, um, skills and it's like, as, as you kind of build more skills and you're not challenged, you get bored you know, and then if you get more, if you have too much challenge and not enough skills, you get afraid and scared. But as you start kind of moving in this place where you're continually learning more skills and are challenged, it's like you hit this space where you're kind of going back and forth between being challenged and learning skills and being challenged and learning skills. And it's just really cool space to be in. And I kind of think that same idea around sort of chaos and order and objective reality is sort of you kind of are heading towards this something that is truly there that we do not that we'll never really understand and there's signposts along the way that say if that tell you if you've gotten too far on one side one side or the other like order or chaos you know so so in this instance skills would be order and challenges would be chaos and so as you go further in the chaos you get more disorderly and 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 things start to fall apart you know if you start to get further into skills, everything starts to get, you know, everything's figured out. Everything's known. There's nothing to look at. Here's how it is. And you get bored and it just, the, the lust of life, the luster of life is, is kind of gone. Hmm. And so I think there's something in the objective reality that's sort of that tension between the two of, you know, whether it be challenge and skills or order and chaos. And that's sort of like the, the litmus test that if you're heading in the right direction, hmm. if that makes sense, that's yeah. kind of big word salad, maybe. <laughs> well, the, the way you ended kind of tied into a thought I had when you were saying that 
It's like, are you headed in the right direction? Mm. So here's a question. You are my friend. Mm-hmm. Is that an objective statement? Is that an observation about objective reality? I would say it's, it's, it's a, it's a possibility within objective reality. Cause I'd say like, I would think that the possibility to be friends with anybody on this planet is possible. But however, when you have people heading in different directions, I think that kind of, you see that with, I think Republican and Democrats, you know, they're so stuck in, I am this thing that they can't get outside of their box and meet with somebody from, that has a different perspective and share and sort of commingle with different ideas that are outside. Maybe their parameters, you know, where like, I'm so pro-life that I can't think or act with you. So there's no friendship. There could never be a friendship because that's the deal breaker, you know, where it's like, no, that's just an aspect of that person. So I think the, I think in that sense that those who are traveling in the, in the, in the same direction will be able to have friendships. Obviously we're limited how many we're not capable of like having 20 or 30. And I think that's part of what I'm trying to say is that, Mm -hmm. well, you're my friend. It doesn't seem to me like an objective statement because for it to be objective, I'd have to tell you what, what has to be true for you to be my friend. Hmm. So I might say something like, well, he's my friend because he shows up Mm -hmm. when I need him. That might be one aspect that somebody would use to describe a friendship. But then, you know, if I'm in need and I've known you for over a decade, Mm -hmm. it's like, you might not show up one time. Mm -hmm. Does that make you not my friend anymore? I'll never fail you. (laughs) It's like, no. And you can't make a statement to me like that in in all seriousness because you will fail me, of course, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make you not my friend anymore. So, you know, what's the criteria by which you stop becoming my friend? Mm. Like, I don't think that there is a set of criteria that makes you being my friend true. It's almost more like, what makes Michael your friend? Well, it's all these conditional things that are all dependent on a bunch of other things. It's more of a statement that I'm saying, this has continued to be true mm-hmm. despite the successes and the failures or the way that I might measure it. Mm-hmm. it. It isn't exactly measurable. Yeah. And, you know, if, if someone says to me, is Michael your friend? I could say equally truthfully, yes, he is. Mm-hmm. And also we'll see mm-hmm. because there's a direction yeah, yeah, totally. And whether or not you will remain my friend isn't a given. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the beauty of it, though, yeah. is that it, it continues to be true, mm-hmm. even though I can't tell you exactly why it's true. Mm. I can't tell you the things that make it true. I can just tell you that I know that it continues to be true. That's interesting. And so... Am I describing some aspect of the objective world that continues to be revealed to me? I don't think so. I think I'm describing something that's more of a creative process. Maybe it's time frame. Like, you know, you and I right now, uh, like we might not be friends next year. You know, I mean, that's that's in the realm. We'll always be friends. (laughs) That's in the realm of possibilities. You know, it's like uh, only if one of us dies. (laughs) 
<laughs> no. <laughs> but that, but actually, that does come to a point. Is like it's like like time frames. We we're we're in the sort of you know in the sort of becoming aspect of life until we die, and so you really can't make statements until it's all said and done and over. You know, as far as like right. Like what is the objective reality of this? It's like the, there's we're, we live in the moment of potential, and like we don't know what the. Well, now I get I, I I get kind of stuck up here because like the difference between potential and actual. So it's like everyone has the potential for a friendship, but in actuality, you only have a certain amount of time and space in order to spend with people and to invest in in that sort of way. So you do have to be somewhat choosy as far as like where you're going to spend that time. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'm agreeing with you. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Win. Well, and that's why I think that metaphors mm-hmm. become the way that we talk about the truth mm-hmm. because it is potential. And, and I mean, just like you and I, well, our friendship is potential, but uh, each of us as individuals mm-hmm. is potential. Like you, you can't rightly say that you, or I'll switch it. I can't rightly say that I know you mm-hmm. because I can't exactly say who you are. And that's not like, it's partly because of the limitations of me being a different person. And I don't spend all my time with you. And you know, it's, I don't know exactly who you are, but also mm-hmm. even as I say those words, I'm changing you. And as time goes by, you are changing mm-hmm. as well. And so who is Michael? Well, you kind of know, but mm-hmm. you won't fully know until, you know, either, well, I'll just say the end of time, let's say. Mm-hmm. Maybe the end of time for you, maybe the end of time for everything. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Only when you look back on something can you say what it was. Yeah. You can't exactly say what it is because what it is also contains the potential of what it could be and what it is becoming. And how do you talk about that part? How do you talk about the, what it's becoming? And that's where you start to use metaphors. So in friendship, I'd say, you know, if someone says, why is Michael your friend? I'd say, you know, he's, um, you know, he's like a rock to me. <laughs> you know, just stubborn as hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. You know, or like the the rudder of a ship. It's like, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I could give you examples, but those examples don't describe the friendship. They describe things that have happened within the friendship. Hmm. And in order to describe the friendship itself, you have to start using these metaphors. Yeah. And I think it's the true the same. It's the same in friendship. It's the same in love. And a point that I wanted to make about so the last quote um, between what is said and not meant and what is meant, but not said most of love is lost. And I think I want to try to tie together the idea of love and truth Hmm. because I think that they are interchangeable. Okay. And when I say love in that context, it's sort of capital L it it encompasses romantic friendship, um, charity. What are the four loves? Uh, um, Eros, agape, Compassion. Compassion. I think is one. But love as the force that pulls 
Well, it pulls all of potential into its best possible manifestation. Hmm. And I think that when you love someone, that is what you are doing. You are shining a light on who they could be, projecting who they could be. You are valuing their potential self over their current self. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and it's also you're, you're recognizing what is in their current self that is resemblance of that future self too, the potential. Like mm-hmm. I see this in you, but then how that can be manifested over time into something more. And so it's like, I think there's something about that sort of being able to tie those things together. I think there's something about that in love. You know, it's like the, yeah, the, the potential of, I'm, I'm, shoot, I got, I got, I got all sorts of things going crazy in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, I think of like whenever, you know, uh, with Allison, it's sort of, you see, you see the person and their potential. And sometimes you also see how they're also work against themselves too. And then you, you, but you're like, see how that is there. The potential of what that is too, is really great. You know, I think like Allison's a really great dancer. Uh, she doesn't mind me saying this, <laughs> you know, and, and there's been a, there's been a whole journey in her whole dance career and her, gain that confidence and that, that ability, you know, not only physically, but, but also like, uh, mentally and, and, and discipline wise and stuff like that, that as she starts to, to, to manifest that more and more, it's like, you start to see the insecurities go, f- f- you know, kind of trickle away. And for me to be able to, to see that before, maybe during the insecurities or during the, um, that that not not reaching that potential that you can kind of see it and call that out so it almost kind of helps those insecurities and other things kind of fall off of you right so you could say allison's a great dancer and that's a true statement Mm -hmm. but if her insecurities fall away is it a more true statement like her being a great dancer is somehow more true Mm -hmm. if she sees it too Mm. And is confident in it. Yeah, totally. So you're moving toward... It's like a reconciliation of what what is in potential and what could be and the expression of it. And I think that's the truth that I'm pairing with love. So love, whatever it is, ultimately, is something like the truth fully expressed. Mm. And so if you pair that back with the quote, most of love is full is uh, love is mostly lost between what is said and not meant and meant, but not said Mm. it is the failure of our speech saying what we don't mean and the failure of our foolishness and fear meant but not said mm-hmm. which which fails to fully reveal what love would fully reveal and fails to truly express what could be expressed and move us towards what is ultimately true 
as you're as you're saying that there, there's this interesting space I kind of saw that so there's that part of you know can you, can you say that quote again between what is said and not meant and what is meant but not said most of love is lost so I think there's a place in between that too that and and, and being aware of what is not being said and what like could be lost too, as far as like what people's intentions are. I think there's a, a place where you can also be, and it's an understanding place and it's a forgiving place that you can kind of see there's, they're doing this, but not saying this. And you can kind of like be aware of that. And uh, again, I think there's a perversion of this and, I, and we can go into that if you want to, but does that make sense? I, I does, like, like kind of being aware of, of, of like some, you, you, someone saying something, but it's being interpreted a certain way and, and having that sort of like graciousness to be able to kind of like <clears throat> step back and see like, okay, I took it this way, but they meant this, you mm-hmm. know, or they're doing something and they're not saying something it's like being able to kind of look at their actions and be able to like interpret that and understand why they're doing something, mm-hmm. even though they're not saying it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, I think, again, I think that's where that sort of sort of love and forgiveness and, and graciousness kind of comes into it is like being able to like, not necessarily what somebody's saying, but what they're doing. And, Well, there are, <clears throat> so of the two types of failures mm-hmm. to reveal love or, or that result in lost love, lost truth, there are remedies to these. And, so, and some of those would be one is like understanding and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said something you didn't mean. And now you know that. And I know that. And I mm-hmm. forgive you. Mm-hmm. Or you meant something you didn't say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Okay. And back to metaphor, it's like you stumbled. Mm-hmm. Get up. Let's try again. Yeah, you know. So it's almost like when there's it's not necessarily the things themselves, but it's, if there's not reconciliation in the in the sort of crossing of the streams. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, so I think to the extent that you learn not to say what you don't mean. Mm. And to say what you mean. And actually, <clears throat> the first one's the harder one to learn, I think. To learn not to say what you don't mean. Mm. That takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of practice. Because mostly you don't know what you mean until you say it. Mm. Which is interesting. So to learn to be quiet. It's hard because it's uncomfortable. Mm. To learn to think, to check things before articulating them so that you, when you speak, you can say, I said what I meant. Hmm. Um, and to learn to yeah, to say what you mean. Well, that's the two things, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, between what is said and not meant and meant, but not said. So to to the extent that we can reconcile those two things Mm -hmm. so that you say what you mean, we 
recover lost love. We recover what we make things truer than they would have otherwise been like Alison in her dancing. Mm -hmm. If she can say what she means and mean what she says, and you can do that Mm -hmm. collaboratively with her, she is more truly great. And I think that that's true, you know, in, in maybe any example you want to try to run through that model. Well, I, I mean, another one is, is like, you know, as far as when you switch jobs, you know, it's like, you know, we were going around and around about mm-hmm. all the different stuff and lots of fun conversations about that. Yeah. And, and the potential of it, you know, with the job you're in right now is just like, I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much potential for you in this, you know? And, and so it's like, I felt like I kind of got to like come alongside you in this, like in the excitement of it, because it was sort of like, you know, I, like, I know you and I know that you're capable of so much more. And this seemed like there's an opportunity in that, that mm-hmm. was like, so it was, it was fun for me because I got to see something that you could participate in, you know, and that could come like there's certain aspects of you that would kind of come alive, you know? So I think yeah. that's something that, uh, it's like, but again, it's like, but neither of us know what that is, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, like you're, you've got all these, all these things that you're working through and dealing with, you know, as far as stability and you have your kids and, you know, all these things and switching job is not like an easy thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it just, it just kind of like, you know, I felt like, like I got to kind of participate in that with you in that sense too. You know, it's like, I get to participate with Allison in her dance stuff, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like being able to, what is true here, you know, cause it might be something like, no, that job's not right for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and as you, as you discuss it with your counsel, <laughs> you know, it's like, cause we all need people like counsel around us to help us because everyone, especially if it's good counsel, if it's bad counsel, just get it out of your life. <laughs> you know, but if it's good counsel, it's like, everyone's going to have a different thing that that's going to draw that out because they see something different in you. And so again, that's where, that's when the whole love thing, you know, really starts to show is because as you hear different people's words about other about a person, it starts to shine a light more uh, on who that person is. Right. Um, it's revelatory. It's revelatory, yeah. <clears throat> and maybe this is back to my <clears throat> complaint about the idea of objective reality. Hmm. Is well, at least we we behave as though what really matters is the way things could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's back to your you know point about if you step in front of a car, you're going to get hit. Like mm-hmm. that's an important objective truth yeah. that you can't argue with. You can't lie to that, <clears throat> but you know, it's sort of like, yeah, okay, let's learn that lesson. And then we don't really have to think anymore about that. You know, n- most of us <laughs> don't wake up in the morning, like got to remember, <laughs> you know, um, what about like being an ass? Like if someone is, a uh, like that, that can kind of go on for a little, for a little bit of time because maybe it's to their benefit that you're an asshole, but once it becomes not a part of their, it's no longer beneficial to them, then you can discard that person, you know, um, 
you know, so I think there is a sort of objective reality there because I think when you're talking about love, it's, 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 it's definitely more of a collaborative thing that people are working towards something. Right. And so there's, I think there is an objective truth in that. However, but it's not fully revealed. It's not fully revealed, but if it's manipulative, which isn't much different than saying, but that's not to say that it is true. It's just not revealed. Mm -hmm. It, it isn't true objectively yet. We just don't see it fully. Mm -hmm. There is something generative and creative about that process. You're working on something that could be, you could choose for it not to be. Totally. Yeah. But I think again, the potential, I think that's where we're, I think that's where the, well, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm kind of, I'm kind of following you here a little bit. Like whether or not you actualize something, is one thing, but the actual potential of that future, I guess that is the objective reality. Like the, the potential of that future is always present at, 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 at every point to either, right. to either sort of, uh, sort of grow into or escalate or degenerate. I don't know if escalate's the right word, but like sort of prosper or, 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 I can't think of two words that (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I guess just the generation or prospering, you know, as far as like you can either, you can sort of like move into that greatest possible future, or you can also degenerate into the worst possible future. Hmm. And, and again, how, what that actually looks like, it just depends on at what, at what moment you, snap the picture. Yeah. Snap the picture. And also what moment you maybe shift into the other. Mm-hmm. Cause again, I think I, I always agree with the statement is like, if you're not growing or dying, there's no, there's no neutral. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what matters is, is direction mm-hmm. more than current location. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's what we're kind of trying to get at is that the truth is directional. Mm-hmm. Just like love is directional. Yeah. It isn't about, any specific state mm-hmm. it's about where you're going and what is ultimately true is where you will end up and where you know where is it that you end up mm-hmm. that's what's ultimately true and that's when you you have to resort to well metaphorical ideas of heaven and hell mm-hmm. because there isn't another way to say it yeah I mean, partly because it's outside of our experience and all of language is metaphorical to experience. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. That's probably why heaven and hell has been probably the most, um, <laughs> profound metaphor. Yeah. You know? you know, because how do you describe heaven? Yeah. The lion day lays down with the lamb. Mm-hmm. Little angels with harps. <laughs> like, what, like, what do you, yeah, how do you describe like the Hallmark that? card yeah, version. Yeah. <laughs> You know, what is hell is like, you know, your skin's being burned off you, you know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but it's all, it's all self-inflicted, you know, and which is fascinating. Hmm. I mean, I think I would say heaven is what is ultimately true. Mm -hmm. Like once 
sort of the, the, the rod of time is re- released from us. We are no longer becoming, but we have become. Mm-hmm. And that, that's like a statement about who we are individually, who, what our relationships are, where love points us, and the truth that is revealed as you move along that. Once that's ultimately true, ultimately revealed, it is no longer becoming. That's to say you are outside of time. Mm-hmm. And so it's whatever that is. What is ultimately true, what love, what the, the fullest expression and manifestation of love would be, mm-hmm. that's heaven. I think hell is, is the inside of the mind that says, I don't wish to know mm-hmm. what is ultimately true. Hmm. Yeah, like our denial. Yeah. It's just like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't wish to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember, I think it was C.S. who said this, like, and I think it's a great sort of statement. It's like, nobody <clears throat> will be in heaven that doesn't want to be there. And I think that's just true in life. It's like, if you want to be there, there's always an opportunity to sort of turn to that sort of, turn the other direction mm-hmm. like there's always opportunity you know whether it's like a, a drug a- drug addict or or you know in a relationship or something like that there's always a time to just say i'm sorry or i need help or something like that and that's i think that's just really important to to know it's it's like which is really hard because I feel like I've kind of I've said, I've said this many times, like in certain, uh, I won't go into specifics, but it's like, you know, it's like we all have a choice and it's not necessarily a choice means something changes today or tomorrow, but if we just choose it, it sort of starts to manifest itself. Like the idea of like, even with truth, it's like if we choose truth, even though, even though we don't even know it or understand it, it seems like if we choose that or even like the idea of objective reality, like there's something to be known and it's something outside of myself and it's real. I feel like when we choose that, it starts to manifest itself Mm -hmm. like love, like even in that, that's an objective reality. Love is an objective reality. And if I choose that, then certain things start to manifest themselves. You know, if I deny love, and I think it's all transactional or whatever. It's like, that's all that will, that's all that will reveal itself to you. And, and those are the relationships you will be a part of. But if you choose love that has something that somebody else, that somebody else is looking for you to be a better and bigger you and you for them the same, it's like, that's when you will start to see that and also recognize the falsity of, maybe somebody being out for themselves, you know, Hmm. but we have to choose that. I think, you know? Yeah. Well, just like we have to choose, well, to speak in the first place, maybe that's Mm. another sort of profound insight from that quote is that love is somehow lost in a failure to speak. Hmm. Could you like speak and act? 
or both? I think both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah, love isn't available to the mute. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, speaking is almost metaphorical in that sense. Well, and yeah. we already made that point. Mm-hmm. And speech is metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's a better or worse way to say it. It's just a different way to say it. A failure to act. Mm-hmm. To speak, to create, to reveal, to manifest, to choose. Mm-hmm. To say, I align this direction because that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, I think we, we all have some amount of shame and, and fear attached to the things that we want. So much so that I think answering the question, what do you want, is actually pretty hard. Mm. You know, whether that's like what you want for dinner or what you want out of a relationship or what you want out of your career or for your children what you'd like to accomplish in 10 years. I mean, these are very hard questions, Mm -hmm. but to speak and to act, to say what you want is so incredibly powerful Mm. because well, there isn't much difference between saying what you want and getting what you want. There's also like a refining process in that. It's when you speak and act, then you then it manifests, and then you're able to sort of shift and change in that. So like, as of right now, this is what I understand what I want. And I'm going to speak and act accordingly. And then as you speak and act, then you start to see what matches up with what you actually want, what you really want at that time. Mm-hmm. And then you speak and act and it's like a continue like sort of winnowing away the fat or, or like the, the silver, you know, as you continue to cook the silver and then you take off the dross and it becomes more and more pure. And it's like, there's, there's something in that sort of, a lot of acting. high quality smelting words in that <laughs> statement. <laughs> I like to bring in the smelting. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot, I mean, it, you do need to kind of, you will not be able to see more clearly until you speak and act. And as you speak and act, clarity comes to the surface more because you're able to sort of trim off the fat Mm -hmm. or clear off the dross or whatever it might be. Um, So I think that's the hardest thing because in in speaking and acting, you also will fail. And it's interesting. I've been talking to my kids a lot this week about failure. Mm. (laughs) It's just how important it is to fail, you know, and, and it's, and to not be afraid to fail and that we need to speak and act into the world because there's something that will be revealed to us hmm. only through action and only through speaking. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like love and truth are somehow like ultimate statements. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what is love? What is truth? Well, it's, it's whatever will finally be. Mm-hmm. The same, I think can be said about your own desire which is why it's hard to say what you want. So a child might say, you know, something like I want a pony, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and you give the child the pony immediately bored with it or whatever. (laughs) I mean, that's what happened when I got my kids a pony, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but you, you know what I mean? It's like the, the wants of a child are often naive. Mm 
Yeah. And if you give in to them, they become spoiled because you're, 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 um, well, you're not, you're not pointing them in the further direction, which is, that's not exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. And you getting that will, um, well, it, it will confuse you. <laughs> Let me throw this at you. I, yeah, when you okay. said that, it was hilarious. Like what went to my mind is like, I want a pony. It's like, okay, here's a pony. Okay. You need to feed the pony. You need to clean up its shit. You right. need to walk the, you know, you need to ride it. This is a daily thing. It's like, oh, I don't want this pony. Totally. Oh, you want the idea of a pony. Mm-hmm. Or if you want an idea of a pony, is somebody else taking care of it, which is, okay, well, it's going to cost us much money. How are you going to get that money to take it? Well, you'll pay for it. Like, I'm not paying for your pony. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. so there's a lot of things we think we want, but then there's all this responsibility and accountability that comes along with it that we're like, oh, actually, I don't want that. But that's the, my, I think the point I'm trying to make is that it's, it's not that you thought you wanted something that you end up not wanting. Mm-hmm. It's that what you thought you wanted wasn't actually what you wanted. You thought you wanted the pony. What you really wanted was the dream of having a pony. Mm-hmm. But you, even though you, you know, you, this is such a stupid analogy, <laughs> even though you get the pony and then you, you know, you feed it and you scoop the shit and all the things. And you're like, I don't want this pony anymore. It's uh-huh. like that. The, it's not that the dream is gone. Mm-hmm. It's just, you learned a better way to articulate it, which is, Oh, it's not the pony mm-hmm. that I wanted. It's the feeling I had in my head when I imagined riding the pony. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. But that doesn't die. Yeah. You just learn how to articulate it better. You learn mm-hmm. to say, oh, it actually wasn't about the pony at all. Mm. And then you find another way to um, fill that dream with reality. Mm. Yeah, it could have been like, I love, the, I, love, I love riding a pony. You know, I love riding a horse on the beach. And, and there's something about the freedom of it and feeling the strength of the horse, you know, in the wind and the, you know, it's like, there's something about, <laughs> there's something about that part that, and it's like, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> We're talking about ponies, <laughs> but it is interesting. Like, like we do, we do kind of latch on to like a, a symbol. Like I want a pony because that's mm. all, that's the only way that we can like articulate. There's something about having a pony that is, or a horse that is desirable. But I don't right, really but if want you, a horse. If you trust what it is that you want in it to the thing itself, that mm-hmm. thing becomes an idol. Mm-hmm. Also, wait, wait. Well, if what you think you want is a pony, mm-hmm. you're going to be really disappointed once you get one. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. And if you make that the most important thing, and then after you, even after you're disappointed, you demand that it's still the most important thing because you don't want to admit the fact that you were wrong about what you wanted, mm-hmm. that becomes an idol hmm. and it will break your heart. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting about idols. Well, okay. Let me think of like, maybe I can think of like money in this way. Like, like if I think money will solve all my problems and maybe it does to a certain degree, but 
it continues to, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, Shoot, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. One. I was gonna go into the whole money thing, but yeah, I, I was like, we're gonna save that one for maybe. <laughs> maybe we're at a, a good wrapping up part. Yeah, I think so. Any last, uh, any last thoughts? Hmm. I kind of want to end by reading this. This um. Oh, passage from C.S. Lewis, actually. I thought you were going to read that. what your friend sent you. Oh. That was good, too. It was good, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. <clears throat> yeah, I love our... I like this 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 discussion just because it's... Um, okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, say what. I was going to put some uh, filler in there. So. <laughs> You're going to try to So I think speaking of love and truth and desire, I mean, I think what we desire is love and truth. We desire to move towards what is ultimately true. And it it is our desire that actually points us in the right direction. So long as we're honest about our own desire, Hmm. maybe that ties into the idea of idols, because if you are dishonest about your own desire, you no longer move toward love and truth. Hmm. If you say, no, what I wanted was the pony and everyone must behave as though this has actually, you know, satisfied me or money will solve all my problems. And then you get a bunch of money and well, it doesn't, mm-hmm. but you could behave as though it did. And that becomes pathological and you become psychopathic and narcissistic and controlling and nobody wants to hang around you anymore. <laughs> right. Even though you're rich. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, <clears throat> I thought about this passage and we'll end it with this. So, This is by C.S. Lewis. I think it's from The Weight of Glory, which is, a, I believe, a collection of lectures he did. So he says, It is the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. It is a desire for something that has never actually happened or appeared in our experience. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if that had settled the matter. Wordsworth's expedient was to identify it with certain moments in his own past, but all of this is a cheat. If Wordsworth had gone back to these moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. The books or music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust it to them. It was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are to be mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we've never yet visited. I like it.
can't add anything to that. No. Uh, this is great. This was definitely a, a, on the shores. It was on the shores. <laughs> we were right. on the shores tonight for sure. Cheers. Love you guys. Thanks for coming with us. For sure. Love you. Bye.